Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. I think a lot of Christians, a lot of Christians, uh, churches, are sacrificing their good theology on the altar of unity. Well, I'm here with Melissa Doherty. We're going to have a great conversation today about New Age and how New Age ideas are making their way into the church. So you can be looking for some of these ideas in your church or a church you might visit, or maybe you're seeing it on social media, or you're hearing about it from Christian friends that might be attending another church. So Melissa, thanks for being here today. Tell us a little bit about your story of, you actually came out of the New Age into Christian faith. How, how did that happen? And did you grow up in a Christian home? Give us a little bit of your background. Yeah, sure. Thanks. Thanks you. Thank you, Elisa, by the way, for having me on. It's an honor. Um, my story is twofold because I became a Christian when I was 16 and it was unexpected. I was in a really deep, dark place. Um, I wasn't really searching, but it's that that's a long story in and of itself. But I basically had a friend. Uh, I was at a very low point and I had a friend. It was at a party of all places. Uh, tell me about Jesus. Just real Briefly, he didn't even say that much, but man, the Holy Spirit got me. It was everything that I needed to hear. I didn't know that Jesus could be like that. My whole understanding of, of Jesus was more or less like a non-personal source. He was like our example. Mm. And it was almost like if I saw Jesus back then in my mindset, it was just this untouchable being that I was trying to be like, but almost like he was too good for me. Mm. I didn't realize that Jesus could be so personal. I didn't know the gospel. I didn't know anything like that. And that he wanted to forgive me, you know, for the things that I had done. And um, I had kind of a, a wake of destruction in, in my teenage years because I, I told a lot of lies. I did a lot of things I shouldn't have done. And I, I literally went home that night. And I, I know this sounds cliche. I don't know how this sounds, but to this day, even after all these years in hindsight, I woke up the next day and everything was different. I re I literally remember still physically sitting up in my bed, putting my hand on my knees, just looking around my room like, wow, <laughs> you know, the birds were <laughs> chirping, colors were brighter. It's just, and I had this insatiable hunger to know more. I wanted more, 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 more. I wanted to know more about Jesus. And that is kind of oddly, ironically, where my new age story starts. Oh. Um, I think it was actually your, yes, it was your book. I was reading it the other day, actually yesterday, and you were talking about how back in, I think it was the early 90s or late 80s, just the internet wasn't what it was today. So you didn't have all this information. You, you couldn't, you wanted to know something, you went to the encyclopedia on your shelf. And if it <laughs> wasn't right. in there, or you ask your parents. then hey, the local church was your next resource. And yeah. Um, I didn't know anything about the differences between religions, nothing like that. I started going to a independent Baptist church, which if anybody knows anything about independent Baptist churches, they're usually just very strict, very King James only. You better wear a skirt if you're a girl and no tattoos. Um, it wasn't really the house that I needed to be in, the, the place that I needed to be in to have my questions answered. And I had a lot of them. That was really the problem is I was uh, very ins like insatiably hungry to know more. I had a lot of questions mm. and these were the Christianity 101 questions. What about hell? Um, I was taught, I grew up with this view about hell. What, what about this? Where did the Bible come from? Explain this about Jesus's identity, all these questions and nobody could answer them. And I was very hungry, very on fire. All my friends knew what had happened to me. I was like this shout it from the rooftop Christian. <laughs> I love Jesus and he loves you. And I was so innocent. I yeah. had no idea. But um, I had lots of holes in my faith and nobody 
came alongside me. I had no discipleship. Mm. And so what happened was, is that I fell back to what I had known. I grew up with a new age type uh, household. And when I mean new age, I mean more of new thought, new age, which let me define this real quick, because this is important. Yeah. Uh, new age and new thought have the same core beliefs. Um, but new thought is very specific. It's actually kind of uh, came out of the 1800s with a man named Phineas Quimby. And it's supposed to look Christian. So everything that the new thoughts believes in says that it's Christian, but it's really not. So for example, the law of attraction is, is a, is supposed to be the law of the universe, but it has very Christianized Christianese type of terms. And a lot of new thought teachers will use scripture. They will use scripture to back up their beliefs and say, yes, Jesus actually taught this here. It's in this scripture. It's supposed to look Christian. Mm -hmm. Whereas new age looks more cult-like. Um, I didn't know that there was Okay. This side to new age when I came out of it. I've heard the differences uh, in terms of new age and new thought, but I don't think I was fully aware of the main difference. So just for clarification so that I understand. So you would say anything that's basically new age ideas, but couched in Christian language is going to be more like a new thought. And then new age is more maybe its own thing that doesn't use as much Christian language. Is that accurate or... Yes and no. At okay. certain points, you, it's like pinning down a cloud, right? Okay, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, for example, our mutual friend, Doreen Virtue, um, she was in a whole realm of new age. I had no idea it even existed. Oh, okay. Because I was more into the metaphysical side. I was more, my mind is my reality. I can create with my mind. I have power. I'm divine, which in essence is a new age idea. You are divine. That's the mm -hmm. core that links the two. The methodologies are different. Uh, tarot cards, for example, would be considered more new age. Okay. Uh, psychic mediums would be considered more new age. New thought would be considered more law of attraction in that sense, but new agers absolutely still use it. This gotcha. is why it's used interchangeably. And we're going to talk uh, about the law of attraction and some of these terms you're throwing out in a, in a bit. But let's, let's finish up with your story here. So you're, you're in this uh, independent Baptist church. You're asking questions. You can't get answers. How were your questions received? Were, did you feel there was an open space for you to ask those questions? Or was it sort of like, we don't ask those things here? It was more or less that, and to be frank... I think it was because um, I was looked at differently because I was a young woman asking these questions. Okay. And I, I, I really struggled with that because it's just, I didn't feel like it was my place. I felt like, oh, the men do that. Gotcha. Um, and I didn't know there was a word for apologetics. I didn't know what that was, but I was an apologist from the get-go. <laughs> I was just, yeah. I knew I, I had so many questions. I was, it was almost annoying, but nobody could answer them. And so fast forward, all these years go by. My mom had those answers on the shelf of our house in the form of new age, new thought teachers. Mm. And it was fascinating to me how these people claimed to have this divine power to create their right reality and manifest things. And you're really divine. And yes, Jesus did teach that. Um, here it's in the Bible, and I was completely biblically illiterate, absolutely biblically illiterate, and that was my basis of truth. And I never knew there was a word for New Age, New Thought, nothing. I had no basis to ground what those beliefs were. I was just told they were Christian, mm. and that the Bible taught it, and it was a higher form of Christianity. This was higher spirituality. All you other people that just believe in the Bible, you're missing out. You have no idea. God is filling in the gaps with all these spiritual teachers that are coming out now, and he's fixing what was lost, basically. Right. And it all came together, many paths to God, um, very open-minded, very coexist tolerant. Now, fast forward to when I had my first child. That was 2010. That was when I still had questions that, again, the new age, and I always say it's uh, not sustainable. The answers that they give don't really give you because the goal is to really not think about it, is to become inner, you know, you have this inner peace, uh, which was a problem for me because I think a lot. And <laughs> um, yeah, very philosophical, um, even if I, I don't get all the answers, but I, I was 
thinking, I still don't have answers to certain questions. And I remember, I remember laying on my floor meditating about it. And the very next day, two Jehovah's Witnesses knock on my door. And I thought I had manifested them <laughs> to my door. Uh, and I had, again, no idea the differences between these religions. Mormonism, Jehovah's Witnesses, Protestants, Catholics, didn't matter what your beliefs were. We all believed in the same God in different ways. I had no idea that they had such radical different ideas about the, the Bible, even the 101 stuff that I thought I knew, like Jesus being Michael the Archangel. Where do you get that from? You know, um, just things that were unique yeah. to their religion, I thought were rumors. And again, long story short, come to find out they were not rumors. And the internet was not what it was in 2003. So I went ahead and did some research. And it was a snowball effect of research. And that was really what undid it for me. Mm. Because not only did I learn what the Jehovah's Witnesses believed, I learned what the Bible said <laughs> in the process. And I thought, okay, this doesn't make sense. Either what the Bible says is true, and these spiritual beliefs that I have are wrong, or this is right and that's wrong. And so it kind of sent me down this crisis of faith where I, I learned, A, there's a word for what I believed in, and it's called New Age. And what really undid it for me was I had no idea that it literally was the first lie told to mankind <laughs> that yeah. you could be like God. And yeah. that, I remember just sitting down heavy on my couch, shutting my computer, leaning back thinking, oh my word, I fell for this. Wow. I fell for this. And that was just what undid it. And um, I went down this journey of researching cults, uh, Jehovah's Witnesses, and I ended up witnessing to them and learned a lot about my Bible because you have to learn the Bible to witness to them. I learned people skills. It was a weird sort of training period. And that was back in 2011. Sorry, my cat is. Aw. <laughs> Are you okay? Do you want some attention? Just wants to join. Wants to join the conversation. It's all about her. It is. But yeah, so that's basically my story. So wow. um, in a nutshell. And, and, and then fast forward to um, this, my new age past. It, it took me a while to kind of talk about what had happened to, to me. I didn't think any, nobody understood me. I didn't feel like anybody understood the new age. Nobody understood that a lot of what they believed was new age. And I knew that I had to talk about this more. And at some point I started a group on Facebook. Um, and that's when Doreen and I became friends and we got yeah. in ministry together. And that's basically how I came to even start in ministry and be in ministry of my own in, in new age. Yeah. And you have a YouTube channel where you have all kinds of videos that deal with the specifics of new age and new thought. You have videos where you'll take a new age thought and refute it biblically. You have other videos where you'll explain what some of these beliefs are and where you're seeing them come into the church. And so I'm really grateful for your ministry because I've learned a lot from you as well. So so you're, you're at this point and I'm just, I, I so relate with having something so deep inside you that you think is true, but then you're reading the scripture and the scripture is saying, look, either you got to decide this other thing is true and this is false, or the Bible is true and this other thing is false. And you're coming off of just basically believing that your thoughts manifested these people at your door, yes. you know, <laughs> and, and that's, that's a lot to give up. You know, when mm -hmm. you think you have that kind of power, I can imagine that was probably a, a pretty stressful thing. So when you came out of this, uh, I suppose you found a good church, a good solid church, and began to be discipled and and grow in your in your walk and in truth. And uh, like you mentioned, just learning everything you could and becoming biblically literate, which is good advice for all of us. And you know, my interactions with New Age. Uh, so I'll I'll, I'll go back. So several years ago, before I was even aware of any of this language, really. Um, there was this, this is going to sound silly, but there was this product that I really liked. And so, you know, you follow on Instagram to see if they're going to come out with some kind of deal or sale or something like that. So I followed mm -hmm. them on Instagram. And the founder, the creator of the product, would post these sort of neutral, uplifting statements that had to do with strength and joy and hope and nothing too out there. But, you know, I just thought, oh, he's just being positive or something. And then one day I saw that he posted the Lord's Prayer. And I thought, oh, well, maybe he's a Christian. Maybe he's, you know, a Christian and he's just 
putting in that Bible verse. And so as I continued to follow, though, I saw all of this, what I could recognize at the time in a broad sense as new age ideas, but then he would post a Bible verse or he would say something about Jesus, something really positive about Jesus. And I could not reconcile what I was seeing. It just didn't make sense to me. And it wasn't until a few years ago when I was doing research for the chapter I wrote for the Mama Bear Apologetics book, which was on New Spiritual. I called it New Spirituality just as a broad way to encompass all of these ideas. And when I was doing research for that, I was absolutely stunned to learn that this is really a thing. Like it's just a mixed bag. There's Christian ideas. There's a there's an yeah. idea of Jesus, but I was mm -hmm. also really stunned to see how similar these ideas were with progressive Christianity, which of course I had been doing a deep dive on. And I'm like, I feel like I'm reading the same things just from different authors and different movements. Essentially, it's got a lot of the same messaging. And and so I want to talk through with you just in case people don't know this in New Age and New Thought you're going to read about Jesus. You're going to read about concepts like sin. You're going to read about concepts like atonement. And so, Melissa, help us understand the difference between the real Jesus and then the Jesus that you're going to encounter in New Age and New Thought. Yeah, so the Jesus of the Bible, I, I always used to, I, I always like to kind of point to the Gospels, of course, to kind of define who Jesus is. But he was not a teddy bear all the time. And the Jesus of the new thought wants you to be powerful. He wants you to discover your inner divinity. And the basis is that he, it's an imbalance of love and, and justice and wrath. There is no wrath. That's a bad word to anybody in the new thought, new age. Wrath is you see this domineering, angry, authoritarian type figure when you think of wrath. And I think people have a lot of misunderstanding of the definition of, of wrath. Yes. It's, it's like pent up. He has to, he has to somehow, it's like, it, it's, it goes into his attribute of justice, which again has no place in the new age Jesus. Right. He's all love, all love. So it doesn't matter really what you do and all loving God would never have anything to do with something like hell. That's a very unloving thing. Jesus doesn't judge. Right. The that judge of the universe one. doesn't um, judge. Yes. And then there's this, uh, what what's called Christ consciousness. Now this can kind of be depending on, I, Oprah talks a lot about Christ consciousness. Um, I believe it's uh, uh, Christian science talks a lot about Christ consciousness, but it's basically like a spiritual awakening of sort where you discover your inner divinity. It's Jesus Christ is called the Christ. The Christ is something opposite and different than that. It's, it's basically your understanding of your inner divinity of who you are. And that's basically the core of it. The Jesus of the new thought, all are saved. And if you're not saved, there can be like saved. Salvation depends on again, where you're at with your awakening, but say you're not, you, you get this second chance kind of thing. There's all paths lead to God, tolerate all beliefs. It's like a utopian type Jesus. And it's so not sustainable. There's no way. Yeah. <laughs> There's no way you can do that. To have a, a Jesus that says, do not judge, and then not go anywhere after that, that's impossible. I mean, we make yeah. judgment calls all the time. Yeah. Of especially right on right and wrong. I mean, there's subjective, there's moral relativism, all this stuff. So, but the Jesus of the Bible is very exclusive mm. and he draws within the lines. I mean, there's, there's rules in that sense, yeah. um, that we are to have if we are to follow the Jesus of scripture. So I'd say that those are the main yeah. divisions between the two. And I see that Christ consciousness idea that's a huge theme in the progressive Christian church. Of course, they're getting this largely from Richard Rohr, who I'm yeah. sure we'll talk about a bit today. Uh, Franciscan Friar, I've talked about him on the podcast before. He, Even though he's Catholic, he's considered to be a spiritual father, a mentor to many of the leaders in the progressive Christian church. And so you'll hear sermons about Christ consciousness all the time. And that's what Richard yes. Rohr does as well. He separates 
the person of Jesus from the concept of Christ. And yeah. this all ties in with his panentheism and his perennialism, where he talks about the first incarnation being creation, when mm -hmm. God essentially put on the body of the universe. The universe is the body of God, according to Richard Rohr. And so you can attain this Christ consciousness the more you uh, pursue your true self and your your most authentic self. And so yes. these are themes that that he teaches that come into the progressive church so, so much. And so you mentioned wrath, which again, that's not a popular concept in mm -hmm. the progressive church. They, they don't like the idea of God having wrath. They like the idea of justice when it's applied in the way that they want it to be applied, but they don't want God to be just. They want justice on earth for certain things, but they don't want God to be that way. And so wrath gets put aside. And I was curious to ask you too, because you mentioned they they in New Age and New Thought, they put aside the ideas of wrath because Jesus is love. It's all about love. How do they define love? in the new age? That's a good question. Love is looked at as more of a, think of like a utopian type, peaceful, you're, you're not going around, there's no anger, there's no bitterness. So think of all the negativity that you can think of. To them, it's very loving to never be negative. Mm. to anybody or anything. Um, in that sense, that would be like the only, a, a sin in that sense. Yeah. Uh, thou shalt not judge. Thou shalt not be negative. Yeah. That's a big one. So love is actually a very toxic type of love mm. because if you're, if you're going to talk to somebody and say they're doing something wrong and I'm trying to think, I'm purposely trying to put myself back into my little, you know, skin of how I would have seen this because you understand I was, I was mixing the two. So I thought that this was true Christianity and a lot of people do. I would look at somebody who's living a life of sin. All right. Say they're destructive. The loving thing to do is to support them, is to show them love, to show them some sort of emotional fulfillment in the moment. And it really is like watching somebody drown <laughs> And yeah. you're just kind of, you can do it. You're doing great. You're yeah. doing wonderful, but you're not really giving them what they need to get out of that situation. It sounds like enabling, like yes. how you would enable a drug addict or, or something along those lines. Yes. That's actually a very good way of putting it. Um, what's looked at as, as loving is to never be in confrontation, to never fight. It's, it's to show it's to allow that person to be an authentically who they are in that moment or however you want to spiritualize that, however you want to put a label on that. But really it's, it's, if you were and the reason why they think that is because a, how you're treating somebody else you believe is going to come back on you. Mm. So if you're treating them with disdain or if you're judging them mm -hmm. by telling them, Hey man, maybe this isn't good for you. This isn't, I see you falling down and, and, and you're making really bad choices. I mean, that those are judgments mm -hmm. that you're putting on somebody else. So you don't want that. So you don't do that to them. Number two, a lot of people don't like confrontation in these circles. So if you are going to invoke some sort of anger from them, you stay quiet. So you consider this to be loving, but really it's, it's a misunderstanding of what real love is. Love is really a choice more than a feeling. Mm -hmm. And it's an action. Sometimes it's a verb. And depending on how you look at it, um, you know, Jesus died for us because he loved us. So if we're going to look at the biblical view of love, a lot of times it's a sacrificial love. Right. So I don't, I don't think new ages have any concept of that to them. It's a fluffy, feel good, you know, cotton candy and daisies and unicorns type of thing. When in reality, it's just, oh, so much more than that. It's so much stronger than that. Last week, Frank Turek posted a meme on Instagram that I think was yeah. such a powerful visual. You know you know which one I'm talking yeah. about. It has this picture of a, a hand where the body is completely submerged underwater, and you've got this hand sticking up above the water asking for help. And then in the next scene, 
another hand is coming and it looks like it's going to help, then essentially the hand that's supposed to help gives the drowning hand a high five and then the Good drowning hand goes under the water. I think that is just, I mean, I don't think there could be a better visual for what you're talking about. This, this sort of cotton candy feel good love, which we see also again in the progressive church as well. This is why I've been so intrigued with the similarities uh, that between yes. New Age New Thought and progressive Christianity, and so I want to I want to zero in on a video you made recently that went viral. Congratulations, by the way, it was a wonderful Thank video, you. so so good. Um, where you're talking about five uh, teachings, five New Age teachings that are making their way into the church, and I think this is what's going to be so practical for, particularly for my viewers and listeners, as we talk through some of these points. When I was watching your video, I was thinking, yep, that's in the progressive church. Yep, that's... And I know it's in other other streams as well. Uh, but mm-hmm. just with my research being so focused on that, I'm just seeing this all over the progressive church. So I'd, I'd love it if we could talk through these five teachings that... And, and I'm sure there's more. You even mentioned that in the video. There are a lot of teachings. Yeah. But these are kind of the main ones, and they sort of build on each other like Legos, mm-hmm. don't they? They're, they're sort yeah. of... You start with the first one, and then you see, oh, yeah, well, that's going to lead you to that one, and that's going to lead you to that one. So let's talk through some of these. Um, this first one was the one I was least familiar with, and maybe my listeners will be the least familiar with, because you wouldn't you wouldn't hear it called this in the church necessarily, but maybe you can help us unpack what it is and then where we're seeing it, and that's called the law of attraction. So talk about the law yeah. of attraction and where you're seeing that come into the church. Yeah, the law of attraction is something I was Oh man, married to in mm. when I was in the new thought, it was, I remember hiring a law of attraction coach. I mean, basically the law of attraction and is taught to be a spiritual law. And the word law is used very purposely to say that like basically attracts like, so they take quantum physics. All right. They'll take, they make a pseudoscience out of this and people believe it because it sounds scientific. And a good book to read on this, by the way. Uh, oh, I have it right here. Uh, Stephen Van Kars' book, Second Coming of the New Age, really breaks down a lot of this stuff. But um, that's a good resource to read on the pseudoscience. Great. On how and why people think, oh, this is legit because, oh, it can be tested. But anyway, so the law of attraction is basically what you think can become your reality because of vibrations and energies that come from your thoughts. And the core idea and the reason why you can do this is because you are divine. You are actually divine. You are part of the universe. We're all one, which we'll get into oneness in a little bit. But you do see this a lot in hyper charismatic movements. And the same scriptures that you see the new thought teachers and new age teachers using to say, oh, this is what Jesus taught are the same exact scriptures that they'll use. Um, to say, oh, we can do these things. Like, uh, I believe there's one in Mark 16. Is it Mark? Yes. Where we'll do greater things than Jesus did that everything that Jesus did, we can do. Um, and some, so if you want healing, guess what? It's up here. It's not physical, it's mental. And because it's mental, you can manifest that in your reality. If you think positive things, you're going to bring positive things to yourself because the universe is mirroring the energy Mm. and the vibrational level that you're on. And there's names for these. So you have these, the, the greatest vibration you can be on is love, which is why a lot of new agers look like they're in a loving days all the time. Because if you're on the highest vibration, according to this law, you will always get what you want. You will get love. You will get everything manifested in your reality because you are acting and reacting on that vibrational, um, atmosphere, if you will. And then you have everything. It's not lower, but it's not as high. You have joy, you have, um, uh, kindness. You have all these other things that kind of go down. Now, then you have the negative spectrum, which you would have, um, bitterness, negativity, all this other stuff, the lowest that you can get is fear, fear. And that's why you will always hear people stop living in fear. Yeah. Your, your fear is preventing you from getting your healing. Mm -hmm. So this, this, this is rampant in in hyper charismatic circles. And I know for me, 
uh, another word for this, by the way, is positive confession. Yes. And this is where the word of faith movement is. Oh, what you say becomes your reality. Yeah. So <laughs> I have a lot to say about this because, and I probably don't have enough time to, but <laughs> what you say and what you think will, will, will manifest. And this is why you are told in these circles that you shouldn't say certain things because you yeah. will make that happen. If you want your healing, then you have to talk like you're healed now. That's right. If you yeah. want that job, you need to talk like you have that job now. If you want your marriage to get better, you need to talk and speak that into existence is what they'll say. Yeah. And I remember stumbling upon a few scriptures uh, coming out of the new age. And the one that really challenged me was James 4 uh, verses 2 through 3. It says this. He says, if you, you want something, but you don't get it. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. And that kind of derails everything about the law of attraction, because the whole point is to get what you want. The God of the law of attraction is seen as a genie. Um, there's a lot more I could say on that because there's, there's a lot more to it, yeah. but it, almost every new thought, new age teacher teaches the law of attraction and it's getting into the churches through this whole kyber yeah. charismatic movement that we're seeing and the word of faith movement. Yeah, I was going to say I've done a couple of podcasts on the what you might call the mystical miracle movement, the mm -hmm. NAR, the New Apostolic Reformation, um, and certainly I want to be clear that uh, you know I don't think that all charismatics are you know teaching a false gospel, but there is this stream yeah. within the charismatic church that um, is very dangerous in that. They really do. They're probably, you know, maybe some would, but most of the people that I know wouldn't say, oh, there's this spectrum with vibrations. Like, they're probably not going to use that language. But what you will hear them say is, like you said, positive confession. I've heard Holly Pivik put it like, um, your words in prayer essentially have creative power. So if you speak it, if you make that declaration, then yes. it's going to happen. It's going to come true. And mm -hmm. uh, so that's just a, a, a good warning for Christians to remember that when we're praying, don't adopt these new age ideas of thinking that if you think something hard enough or you speak it with your mouth, that the universe or God or whoever will will make it manifest because, mm -hmm. you know, of course, Bible talks about answered prayers, but essentially God's in charge of how those prayers are answered. And yes. and we we don't just get to go around, you know, like the God, prosperity gospel would say, and name it and claim it. Yes. Uh, that's not the Christian gospel. And so, um, you know, I have such a heart for the charismatic church because I grew up in the charismatic church. And, mm -hmm. and so I, I just want to encourage all of us as Christians to just be watchful, no matter where, what stream of Christianity you're in, these ideas can come in and they can look a little different in each stream. So just pointing out this law of attraction, we're going to see that in the progressive church manifest like positive thinking and, uh, you know, positive energy and that kind of stuff. And it might manifest in the more mystical miracle movement as this type of prayer that you're speaking things into existence. But just a good warning for all of us as Christians to make sure that we keep going back to scripture and not just one scripture that seems to prove the point you want it to prove. You have to take all of them together. Mm -hmm. and, and make sense of what the scripture as a whole is saying on something, especially something as important as prayer. And I just always go back to the Lord's Prayer. How did Jesus tell us to pray? Read mm -hmm. through that and then compare that to some of the prayer books that you're reading and see if it's if the tone of it is lining up, if the 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 mentality and the sort of the uh, what's the word I'm looking for? the approach to God lines up with what you're reading in prayer books. And uh, that's a that's a, probably a great place to start is when Jesus said, pray like this. Mm -hmm. And so, Melissa, let's move on to the next one. This one I'm super interested in because I see this all over the progressive church, and that's the idea of oneness. So mm -hmm. what is oneness, and where are you seeing that come into the church? Well, so for, and by the way, that was, that was really good, the whole way that you laid that out with the Lord's Prayer and everything. That's, that's good stuff. Um, oneness. So with oneness, this is kind of like pinning down a cloud, depending on who you ask, um, because it's new age. You can kind of, 
uh, have some fluidity with this. But basically, what a lot of people would consider oneness is like wholeness. And what I like to think of it as is like a tolerance sticker or mm. like a spiritual utopia that you're the whole universe, you live in total joy and bliss, and there's no past, present, or future, only now. And a lot of the New Age New Thought teachers call living in the now as like the ultimate spiritual awakening. There's no space, time, no eternity, endless peace, harmony, unconditional love, no fear, and all equality in all things. That's oneness to them. And I use the analogy of baking a cake <laughs> mm -hmm. because what happens with oneness is that you want everybody to kind of be together and be together as one in the church. But what happens is, is that when we left, we, we let everything in the door without realizing that the actual core doctrines of Christianity are being pushed aside all for the concept of this unity. Mm of this oneness. And I like using a baking a cake analogy where if you're baking a cake and you're putting in the right ingredients to bake a cake and sometimes you can get a little crazy. All right. I mean, we can have some, we have, we can have some charismatic in there. It's cool. You can throw some you lavender. Can put you can put carrots in a cake and it's still all right, but you're not going to go and take something like, I don't know, motor oil, you know, pickle juice, toothpaste. And what's that? Toothpaste. Toothpaste, yeah, <laughs> mints. I mean, there's just some things you don't put in a cake. I don't care what kind of cake it is. And if you 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 push that aside and think, no, that's bad. This is this is this is the deal breaker. I can't do this. And if somebody comes up to you and says, you need to put that pickle juice in your cake, or you are intolerant, unloving, <laughs> how judgmental of you. And you're like, but my cake will taste bad. It won't, won't taste good. Well, you're still a horrible person if you don't put that in your cake. And that's really what we're faced with yeah. anymore. Is that okay, well, this is Christianity. I'm going to put pickle juice all over my Christianity just to fit in with the world. Like mm. you're making something completely different and you're totally redefining what Christianity is when you add these things to it just for the sake of unity. So I think a lot of Christians, a lot of Christians, uh, churches are sacrificing their good theology on the altar of unity. Mm. And yeah, and it's all in that name of oneness. You want that spiritual utopia. Yes. You don't care if it's bad theology. Nobody is fighting. So nobody really fights for what's right anymore. It's, uh, what do they call it? Um, it's, it's subjective, but there's more of a, it's more relative mm -hmm. <laughs> for them. But yeah, that's, that's how I would say that, which kind of topples over into the next thing, which is religious pluralism. Yeah. Because that's what you come out with. Yeah is uh, out of oneness, you get religious pluralism, which is basically a coexist sticker. So if, if, if oneness is the tolerance sticker, mm -hmm. uh, the, the religious pluralism is the coexist sticker mm -hmm. where all paths lead to God. Jesus is a way, not the way. And I like to use the example of syncretism versus contextualization, which okay. is a very Un fancy word. <laughs> Unpack that for us. <laughs> yeah. So I, they're fancy seminary words, but basically, uh, syncretism is, uh, think of where you take two separate ideas that are separate, but you sync them together and you do this for the purpose of bringing two ideas together. So think of like, um, a Christian becoming a Muslim to win the Muslim. Mm. It's, that's basically syncretism. You're, you're adopting those ideas to win the Muslim. But really what you're doing is you're creating this hybrid type belief that syncretism. And that is what we do. Contextualization yeah. is what Paul did. He went to the, he went to the city and he's like, Oh, I see your tomb or I see your, um, your idols here. Let me tell you about this one of the unknown God. Let's talk about that. Contextualization is, is you keep it separate, but you, you kind of meet them on a level that they can understand. And you, you, you tell them truth in a language that they can understand. I have such respect for that when people do that. Yeah. yeah. And I had, I, I, there is one story, speaking of seminary, there is one story that somebody was telling to tell the difference between these two. And I hope I don't mess this up too much because it was a while before I read this a while ago, but there in Africa, there was missionaries in Africa. And if, you went up to somebody's door. Maybe I, yeah, I did just tell the story. You go up to somebody's door and you knock on their door. So these people in this particular village, to them, 
that is that translates to I'm about to break into your house and rob you. You'd better run. This is your chance to run away. Oh, wow. So what people do is they have a gate and they would yell from outside the gate if they wanted to come into your home. Hey, brother, I'm here, you know, and that's how they would communicate that. You don't knock on doors. In this wow. culture, in this context, that's bad. So what these missionaries did is and Jesus knocking on your door to them doesn't necessarily translate as good as, well, think of it this way. He's outside your gate and he's calling your name. Yeah. That's contextualization. You're not, you're not messing that up at any level, but you're giving the point to them in a way that they can understand. So that's really the difference. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, that's really good. I, I I was so fascinated when I was watching your video, especially the oneness and then the religious pluralism building on the oneness, because that's, I think, what people really need to understand is these are not isolated ideas that they're just picked out of random places. This is a system that is interlocking and built upon building blocks that all yes. depend on each other. And so I, I just want to take oneness and religious pluralism and just give the viewers and listeners some examples from the progressive literature that I read yes. of where these ideas are coming in. And again, they're coming in other places too. But uh, I, I want to read this quote from Richard Rohr. Again, such a spiritual mentor to so many progressive Christian thought leaders. Uh, I was just looking on his blog. I always try to check out what people are blogging about as well as reading their books. And so he he wrote this in one of his blog posts. He said, and you can tell me, Melissa, if this, I think this nails oneness on the head, but he says, the divisions, dichotomies, and dualisms of the world can only be overcome by a unitive consciousness at every level, personal, relational, social, political, cultural, interreligious dialogue, and spirituality in particular. This mm -hmm. is the unique and central job of a healthy religion. And in another post, he says, the work of religion uh, is to uh, religio, realignment or reunite what our egos and survival instincts have put asunder, namely a fundamental wholeness at the heart of everything. That's it, right? Unreal. Yeah. So Glennon Doyle, I, I did a review of her book recently, and it's just amazing how this idea of oneness is found in her book, particularly when she has this discussion with her daughter. So her daughter is feeling kind of alone. She's feeling separated from everyone. And so Glennon Doyle tells her daughter, in fact, I'll just read the quote here. Um, she says, remember when we were at the beach today and we were watching that little girl wade into the waves and collect seawater in her little plastic buckets? Well, sometimes I feel like I'm one of those buckets of sea next to other buckets of sea, wishing we could pour into each other, mix together somehow so we're not separate. But we always have these buckets between us. And then she tells her daughter, she says, I told her that maybe when we were born, we were poured from our source into these tiny body buckets. When we die, we'll be emptied back out and return to that big source and to each other. Maybe dying is just returning back out from these tiny containers to where we belong. Maybe then all the achy separation we feel down here will disappear because we'll be mixed together again. No difference between you and me. No more buckets, no more skin, all see. I actually might have to remember that example to explain how they believe oneness. Yeah. It's, I mean, that's, that's, that's it right there, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Yes. Because that's, that we're basically all the same su substance. We're all, we are all part of the universe. We're all divine. We're all part of the same stuff. Yeah. And when you die, there is no, there is no consequence, which leaves them with a really massive problem of justice and evil. If you ask me, right. Because that was something that always used to bother me is, well, isn't this person going to have to pay for what they did? Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's, that's actually a really interesting and intriguing yeah. way for her to describe that. Cause that's exactly yeah. um, how they would. And if would that's your that. view, if that's your view that everything is all the same, we're all one. Well, of course there's not going to be any kind of judgment, which leads to the pluralism, uh, you know, the Christian, and this is very big in progressive Christianity too. We're not going to tell the Muslim or the Hindu that they've got God wrong. Yeah. It, it's this pluralism of, Hey, we identify ourselves as Christian. That's the side of God we understand, but we're going to learn from Hindus and Muslims and Buddhists and, and all of these other uh, religious 
religious traditions to try to learn more about God because we all sort of have uh, a picture of, of who he is, but an incomplete picture. So you put all those things together. So they're not going to tell anyone else they're wrong. But like you mentioned before, Jesus is exclusive. It's mm-hmm. it's a requirement to deny yourself, to, to actually let go of all other beliefs and follow him. But see, this manifests, again, like, like in a popular level with someone like Rachel Hollis in her girl mm-hmm. in her book Girl Wash Your Face. Uh, she says in her book, just because you believe it doesn't mean it's true for everyone. In so many instances, judgment comes from a place of feeling as though you've somehow got it all figured out when they do not. So judging each other actually makes us feel safer in our own choices, which again, that sort of resonates with that fear being at the bottom of that vibration spectrum. She says, faith is one of the most abused instances of this. We decide that our religion is right, therefore uh, every other religion must be wrong. And she identified herself as a Christian. And so she's saying, I as a Christian, you know, I can't tell someone else that they're wrong. And that's just the essence of religious uh, pluralism. Yes. And isn't it? It's just, it's, it's... I've never read this book before, but yeah. I might now. That is not... A well, lot of people read that book. Yeah, it was a huge best... I, I believe the year it came out, it was in the top three. Not just... Again, I try to drive this point home. I'm not talking about the top three of Christian books or you know, Christian self-help books. This is like top three New York Times bestseller across all genres. And same with Glennon Doyle's Untamed. Uh, Mm. That book spent weeks and weeks and weeks at number one on Amazon, New York Times bestseller. And these are self-proclaimed Christian authors. And this is what's informing so much of the theology of the progressive uh, Christian church. Well, of course, so oneness and then religious pluralism, the the logical outcome of that is going to be universalism. So talk a little bit about universalism. Yeah. So before I do that, do you see how this all coincides together, how it does have its roots in the new age? So people are like, how is this getting in the church? I'm like, go read Rachel Hollis's book. Right. Like go, right? Yeah. Um, Universalism is basically, I'm sure a lot of people understand this, even if they think they don't, but think of the, what we were just talking about with everybody going to heaven or to back to the source. I mean, God is all love, no wrath, there is no justice. Hitler's going to be there with you too cuz guess what? He's basically, you know, the same sub- substance as you. He's divine as well. All the other people that have done horrible things, there is no wrath, there is no justice at all for them at whatsoever. Everybody goes to heaven or whatever uh good place you want to call it. Uh, this is absolutely huge in progressive churches, which I know you know. Yeah. Uh, this is prog- progressive Christianity is something I'm still learning a lot about. But the more I learn about it, the more I see this. Like you, you have the shack. The shack is universalist. Yes. People love yeah. the shack. Yeah. I'm like, do you know what this what this person is saying? Like, do you see the spiritual implications of what this book is teaching? Yeah. Um. Well, and to build on the shack, see, a lot of people, I think, were confused about the shack when it first came out. This was 2008. So a lot of these ideas hadn't come into mainstream Christianity yet. So I think a lot of Christians were just assuming that if it's a Christian book, it's Mm -hmm. written from a Christian foundation with a Christian worldview. So they let their guards down a little bit. They might have been confused about a few things in it. But, you know, a few years after the shack came out, its author, William Paul Young, came out with a book called Lives, Lies We Believe About God, where he kind yeah. of unpacked his theology, which we see all over the shack. And he outright admitted to his universalism. Of course, he calls it, I want to, he, he denies that he's a universalist, as far as I can tell, but it essentially is uh, what we would call universal reconciliation. So if universalism yeah. is a broader yeah. term that might mean everybody's going to be fine. There's no hell. It's all going to be good. If you want to drill that down into more Christian language, it's not a Christian belief, but, uh, you know, you might try to make it into a Christian belief with this universal reconciliation, which would essentially say, yes, Jesus is the only way we are saved through him, but he saves the whole world. And so William Paul Young, I have a quote here from him where he says, in lies we believe about God, 
The gospel is that Jesus has already included you into his life, into his relationship with God the Father, and into his anointing in the Holy Spirit. The good news is that Jesus did this without your vote, and whether you believe it or not won't make it any less or more true. God does not wait for my choice and then save me. He acted uh, decisively and universally for all humankind. And then he even said, like, he, he... puts the pushback in there. He says, are you suggesting that everyone is saved, that you believe in universal salvation? And he says, that's exactly what I'm saying. So it's very clear. He has come out and said it. (laughs) Yes. And I'm really glad that you uh, basically broke that down a little bit more because universal reconciliation is universalism, but it's like a branch off of it because it's a Christian teaching. It's somebody saying, yes, Jesus died for you too. He died for everybody. Yeah. And we all eventually will be saved because Jesus died for everybody. Um, that that has its roots in universalism. And I always thought that neither one of these makes sense. R- religious pluralism, universalism, none of it makes sense. In light of how the disciples died and Jesus's own death, it doesn't really make any sense. Yeah. Um, in the crucifixion and in, in as far as that goes. All right. So let's get into this final point here. The, the idea of mysticism, this is kind of a broad term. So I'm going to, I'm going to have you define it and then uh, define it according to the new age and then how that is influencing churches as far as what you're seeing. Yes. And this is the one that I have to be the most specific on because uh, as you mentioned earlier, there is, in my opinion, a difference between somebody who's charismatic and somebody who's hyper charismatic. Mm-hmm. Um, So I want to be very clear that I'm being very specific uh, with the types of churches that would practice these things. Um, This is a bit tricky to define because a lot of people can be like a Christian mystic, but that's not new age. What I mean when I'm saying mysticism is that they're purposely seeking a spiritual experience on on, on specifically that for the purpose of power, Mm. hidden knowledge, hidden truths some sort of extra biblical knowledge, manifestations of glory, powerful spiritual experiences, things like that. Experience is your truth. Mm. So one of the things that you will hear a lot from, and that's just the new age aspect of it, but this is everywhere in hyper charismatic churches. This is the one out of all of them that I am seeing everywhere. Mm -hmm. If you want to know God, then you need to go have a personal, powerful experience with him. Don't put God in a box is like the motto of of this. And I I mean, God has a box called the Bible. That's right. (laughs) Yeah. And that should be your basis of truth. You see all these memes where people are trying to shove Jesus into this box and as if that's what Christians are doing. And we're like, no, actually he gave us a box and said, here (laughs) is the information about God, you know, it's like, yes. it's, 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 it's such, I hear that all the time, but anyway, continue. Yeah. And and that's one thing that, um, I, 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 I have a major bone to pick with that because that's new age. If you don't, this is how I got to believe what I did is that I look at the Bible, like, man, that is so restrictive. Mm-hmm. I don't, what? No, Jesus can do more things than that. In fact, he kind of sounds like a jerk here. So I I think that these other teachers, they're so much more spiritual than you. Mm. And I'm going to believe them because they talk to God directly. Mm. What, what motivation do you have to pick up your Bible and actually read it if they hear from God directly? Or if you can hear from God directly? Yeah. Where's your motivation to dust off that book and think, oh, I really want to study this today? Like there's going to be no no none of that. And that's the point. Yeah. That I think is the deception itself because experience trumps scripture. Yes. And I like to think of, uh, and I see this, I working on a video for this, but, um, it's kind of close to my heart, but a lot of mega churches do this where you have hands, hearts, and, and, uh, your mind. So you have hands, hearts, and mind. So what a lot of people do is they focus a lot on serving. They'll go and help the poor and they got this down. Okay. So they'll really get your feelings. They'll get you in the feels and that's Mm -hmm. what they get you do to get through the door with. But there's none of this. In fact, the intellect, the more you think, in fact, in, in the new age, 
the more mindless that you become, the more spiritual you are. Yeah. So you, you can't let your thinking get in the way of you having your powerful spiritual experience. And that's where mysticism just runs rampant. Mm-hmm. It's all about experience. And yeah. I always, I appeal one scripture is uh, Acts 17, where they reason from the scriptures, not by performing signs and wonders. You see this all throughout scripture. Yes, they perform signs, signs, wonders, and miracles, but that's not only thing they did. They believed because scripture was checked. The Bereans were a noble character for they received the message with eagerness and examined the scriptures daily. Um, on, on any level, this is not done. It's, it's, you are a religious Pharisee mm-hmm. if you read your Bible too much and think too much. And yeah. they don't call the Bible the sword of the spirit for nothing. It's the only offensive, is it offensive and defensive? Offensive, it's both offensive weapon that you weapon, have yeah. in the spiritual battle. Everything else is defensive. Mm. So they're taking that away. Mm. And uh, you know what I mean? So yeah. And, and my I wanna, question always is, is Jesus enough without the experience? That's so good. And that's one thing growing up in the charismatic church that part of the reason I think that I went through a process of deconstruction is because you, you made a statement earlier that I think would have been absolutely true of me. And that's that experience was, is your truth. And that's why yeah. nobody could cause me to doubt until I was in this class where my intellect was constantly being bombarded with all of these arguments I couldn't deny with my mind. But I'd always go back to, but, but those experiences I had when I felt the presence of God and when all of these things would happen. But when, yeah. when, it, was, when it was conveyed like, well, hey, you can have those feelings with a lot of things. And if I was really honest, I was like, you know what? I can. And that's when it broke down. My main doubt was, I mean, it was around all these intellectual things, but the main, the the foundation, the leg that was right at the bottom that got knocked out was the experience because that I think would have been true for me. And I just, again, I want to mm-hmm. clarify, um, you know, in the charismatic church, they, they do believe that the gifts of the Spirit have continued, and I'm not going to repudiate that. Uh, there, there are t- The Holy Spirit leads and guides and prompts. I believe all of that is true. And we'll even, I've, I've heard even Wayne Grudem and really reputable guys talk about uh, the Holy Spirit speaking to lead you to do something. But I think what we're talking about here is we're talking about new revelation that would be on par with yes. Scripture. And, and yes. even though in these more hyper-charismatic streams, they probably won't say that it's on par with scripture. Uh, they re- it really is in practicality because a lot of times this prophet or somebody will give a word and you're expected to obey it like you would obey scripture. And yes. that is not right. You have the, the, the canon is closed. We have the word of God as our objective source for truth. And, you know, if, if someone says, Hey, I think the Lord wanted me to tell you that you're supposed to do X, Y, Z. My response would be, well, I'm going to take that to scripture and I'm going to, I'm going to see what the scripture says about that. And we'll see, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to take that as an authoritative source for truth. And I think that, uh, in the charismatic church, we can become confused about those things. and But it's not just manifesting the charismatic church. Again, pop culture, uh, we'll just go back yes. to the Glennon Doyle book. There, There's this section where she talks about essentially what she's calling a type of meditation where she goes into her closet and she says, I sink lower. And so as she's basically practicing meditation, 10, day, 10 minutes a day, where she tries to sink lower and lower essentially into herself, until she finds what she calls the knowing, and the knowing is spelled with a capital K. And so this is how she makes decisions. She says, uh, you know, when you really sink low enough into yourself and you find this knowing, uh, which she calls the knowing, she calls it the self with a capital S, she calls it God, she calls it all kinds of things. She said, In fact, she says at one point, I don't care what you call it, just as long as you find it. And she says, what you do is you feel this liquid gold. And so when she makes decisions, if she's faced with a decision to make, she sinks, she finds the knowing, and if she feels warmth, if she feels this liquid gold, then it's a yes. And if it feels cold or she can't find that liquid gold, then it's a no. It's such a subjective way of 
ascertaining truth. And, and that's all informed by that mysticism. Uh, mm-hmm. Well, Melissa, we have covered so much ground today. This was an absolutely fascinating episode for me. I, uh, I think that we're going to talk through maybe a couple of other short videos that we can put out on real specific topics that you're got some special expertise in. So I'm looking forward to that. So if you're listening, you're watching, be looking for those because those will be great little informative, shorter videos uh, regarding some of these these topics. But Melissa, thank you so much for being with me today. What would you tell uh, our listeners and viewers just as a, a parting thought, just to encourage them to pursue biblical truth in these areas? I would say scripture is suffice and Jesus is enough. Love it. In short. Basically, because it's, it's never, it's never more than that. And there's satisfaction in that. He's the bread of life for a reason, or, you know, the, the living water. He will sustain you. Love it. Thanks, Melissa. Thank you so much for tuning in today. If you enjoyed listening to or watching this podcast, you can go to alisachilders.com and click the subscribe button, or you can subscribe on YouTube or iTunes or wherever it is that you're listening to this podcast. Don't forget to go to patreon.com slash alisachilders and take a look at some of the ways that you can come alongside us financially and with your prayers to help get the message out to more people. Have a great week. Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app, and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast.